This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by David Elliott, owner of The Pulse. How's it going, Dave? It's going pretty good, Andrew. It's cold out, but it's normal for that time, this time of year. Yeah, it's not bad. It. Uh, I, I had mentioned in my intro for the paper this week that I, I woke up to a fresh blanket of snow across my entire yard, uh, which was beautiful for a moment. And then I remembered that I had to plow it before I could take Oliver to daycare. So I had to get up, do that. That was annoying. Then the very next day, again, a fresh blanket, this time of ice, and then my wife's windshield wiper snapped off in the cold. So ah. uh, this has been a fun, a fun cold weather week for us uh, in our no garage. So Winter, all the hardships you're to endure. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I'm young. I can take it. So I'll get all these winter hardships out early, and then I'll retire. No, not yet. No, okay. Not, not for a while. So, uh, last time on the podcast, we had talked about kind of the inception of the pulse, the the first days, some of the inspiration that that pulled it together. Uh, and today, I want to talk a little bit about still in the the early days of the pulse, but what it is you were actually writing and the stories you were covering. So, one of the big reasons that you and I are talking is because as I've taken over as the arts and entertainment editor, I'm going to have my nose to the ground in knowing what's going on in Door County. I, I hope to be able to stay on top of all of the different art scenes up here from theater to music to food to the outdoor section. I really want to know what's happening every week. And that was kind of your big inspiration for the pulse in the beginning too, right? Knowing what's going on and telling people what's going on so that all of you could have kind of a little community together where you're all informed and you all get to go out and have fun in all these events. Is that, is that right? And in, in why you started? That was a big part of it, but it wasn't all. It was also to learn about the community we're living in. So, and it was specifically to learn more about the artistic and creative side of things. What, what made people want to make things and what inspired them and how could we track down a story and tell about, talk about it. And the way we came up with most of our stories is uh, Leroy, like, so you think of 1996 is when the first issue came out. Um, there weren't that many coffee shops around. There were, it just wasn't something that existed. And Leroy's coffee opened in, I believe, 1994, 1995. So it was a relatively young coffee shop. And a lot of people in their early 20s hung out there, lots of artists, lots of different people, and they were roaming through. And a lot of seasonal people would come through too with ideas. So just sitting in the coffee shop for a couple hours on a break was great to just sit and listen and hear stories and find out from the individual, from Leroy himself, who's working behind the counter, like, what have you heard today? What do you know? What, who's doing what? And he could tell, oh yeah, this artist came in this morning. They were in really early and they're working on a new project or so-and-so was just talking about this happening out in the beach today and that kind of thing. So, or there's going to be sailboat races and in Ephraim today, so you should come and watch, that kind of stuff. Yeah, this is the Ephraim, this is the Leroy's Coffee in Ephraim, right? Kind of in that little community that's that's just south of like Wilson's and stuff, right? Correct. Okay, 
Tell me what that place was like back then, because right now when I think of that, I think of it as this like very small but super energetic area for artists. We have Lucy at Lightbox there, who's brought a lot of in like fun energy into that zone. Uh, you had the soup shop there for a while under Paul, and now it's reopening uh, under under new owners. You have the 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 Potter that's there within things was there for a while. So in the last couple of years, I've known that like small little community as something that's very kind of bustling and vibrant for how small it is but also with a lot of young energy what was it like in the 90s um well i can i can speak to the late 90s um the or the mid to late i guess there was a carrots for carrots jewelry was in that front building there was an ice cream shop actually where the potter was is now um in that back building i don't even recall what was in there it was vacant for a while then it's still vacant it was a coffee shop at one point. Excuse me. It was a pizzeria at one point. Okay. Um, then to the back where Paul was, that was vacant. Bubba's Burgers was there, which was next, which was kind of next to the where the the soup kitchen, soup kitchen, where the soup <laughs> Sarnuska is. And then there was a, a pet expression store, I believe it was called, with like a lot of animal and dog mm-hmm. treat stuff. And then there was a bead shop in there a lot for a long time too. Um, but that came in a little later. It. Leroy's was looked at as a, who's this guy coming in? He's a little bit different and there's a lot of young people showing up. And then the high school kids started showing up there and hanging out there in the evenings after classes. So it kind of changed the old Ephraimite kind of stodginess, I guess is the one way to put it, um, from that community there. It was, it was a fun little spot to hang out. I ended up, I actually worked there for a couple summers and a winter and like, that's where I met, uh, Seth Wessler, who was our cartoonist and layout guy. I kind of just working behind the counter there long enough, put me in, got me to talk to different people. And usually someone ended up writing something or someone came up with a cartoon and would drop it off or all that kind of stuff came out of that little coffee shop. Tom McKenzie went to high school with Leroy. Um, and so they knew each other going from way back Tom was my original business partner with the pulse. So I, I knew Ryan, he was one of my first friends up here for a long time. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about it being this kind of like head turning space with, with this younger crowd moving in. Cause that's kind of how I feel it is now as well. Um, you have Prince of Pierogi that just opened up there, but then, you know, going back to the Lightbox, Lightbox is a screen printing shop, but it's also a place where they hold open mic nights and other sorts of gatherings and that kind of stuff. And, and so it really, uh, I went down there to film one of the open mic nights when Celeste Benchwal was performing, uh, used to write for us. And it, it maybe was the most young people I saw in one place at one time, uh, in the last couple of years that I've been up here. So it like, it, it's cool to see that that energy may have started back then. And is it's just continuing to evolve or, or maybe having a, a second wind of that right now. Yeah. I think so. it's kind of fun to see that growth and that change and that movement. I mean, those spaces move around all over the place. So it's, it's always going to be somewhere you'd hope that there's a gathering place for different age groups and all of that. Right. Well, and I, I've also really enjoyed over the last five years seeing these different small pockets that are, are forming, right? So like that that community is, is a great example, but even just north a little bit in Ephraim, you have Coffee Lab and Pearl Wine Cottage and Trixie's and all of these other different areas kind of coalescing in like the chef's hat area, all all 
transforming that area into like a cool place to do a, a wine and beer crawl or to get some really good appetizers or some some great food just kind of in that like section and uh, Aaliyah Kidd had wrote a piece about how like when you walk through it at night it feels very urban in a way because everything's lit up everybody's sitting outside it, it's its own little like food and drink paradise that has popped up largely you know in the last five years of course you've had places like Chef's Hat there for a long time but uh, all of these other places moving in and, and capitalizing on that cool small area um you're seeing that all over the place, just these little cool pockets that are springing up with that young energy. Well, and remember too, that Ephraim at the time in the nineties and even into most of the two thousands, that was a dry town. There was no alcohol served at all. So a lot of that change comes with Trixie's wouldn't be there. And you know, the Pearl wine shop wouldn't be there. And all those things changed drastically as soon as you're allowed to serve wine and beer. Right. Uh, Bad Moravian, I think, is just opening this weekend. Uh, they've had a soft opening, but that is um, part of Ephraim Coffee Lab. So it's in that area, too. It's its own little, like, beer garden. Uh, and I had talked to Sophie Nelson, uh, who is largely in charge of building that beer menu. And she talked about how they are Ephraim's first beer garden and she's like i love being able to say that but you know we have a huge leg up because we've only you know been able to have a beer garden here over the last couple of years yeah it's a big shift in that little community with all that and then there was a there was a big fight against it and that but that was i think it's a good change for the community i think it helps with the number of lodging places that are downtown right in that stretch and Ephraim too that you now can walk and get a glass of wine or a beer when you couldn't uh, 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that there were concerns about, you know, it, it becoming a very different feeling place and like being overrun with, with alcohol. But like when you, when you open up establishments like that, where you can get a drink and then they face the problem of like, now we have more people up here. What do we do about the road situation? They fix the road situation with the sidewalks, make the community much more walkable everything all kind of coalesces and and creates something that's a more pleasant experience from my perspective right Uh, being able to walk these different locations fish creek is a good example ephraim is a good example in the last couple of years expanding their sidewalk access makes these towns so much more walkable and enjoyable to be able to do like a beer crawl or even just to get like a good walk in i think if you do the whole loop in fish creek it's almost a 5k it's at least like two miles so you can get a really good walk in just kind of enjoying maybe stopping into a shop or two but uh that that walkability aspect that we've seen over the last couple of years has been a really cool change too yeah it's great and when when you think about Ephraim though too don't forget that's all built in a swamp so there's that's the other right. that's, the, that's the other part like i that whole area gets very wet in the spring, but I'm I'm glad they're able to still have things down there and for the community to be able to have all those gathering and walking places is great. I mean, the, the Ephraim just bustles in the morning with people walking to get their morning coffee or breakfast and hanging out at the beach and eating a good egg and all that. Right. So walk me back again, because when we, when we talk about getting these stories for the paper and, and who we talk to, you're, you're starting this off in a time where you don't have businesses broadcasting everything that they're doing over social media like we do now. Where were you finding your leads and who were you talking to to get these stories? So as I mentioned in the last episode, a lot of it grew up with Tom and I over time and, and just developing the contacts. When I was when I was at Lawrence, um, my job was to basically start a newspaper up from scratch. And one way I did that was just to, to contact every single student-run, government-run body that the university had and say, hey, if you've got something going on, let me know. 
So we did a lot of that here. We contacted a lot of the, all the theaters we contacted. We contacted as many different people as we could and slowly built a database, database and reached out to them and said, hey, if you have something going on, reach out to us because we can't be everywhere. We're a small little entity. Um, but remember, too, there were no cell phones. Like there was email just had started and a lot of the business owners weren't using it. So in 90, 1996, it was hard to get people to email stuff. So everything was mailed to us. So I have a, have a whole file folder full, not file folder, file cabinet full of old photos and, and press releases that we used to get sent from all the different organizations. So we'd gather that by calling them. There were no cell phones either. You'd call people and they sometimes would fax you something. Um, scanning was early on, so you could scan something in and hopefully it would detect the text, but otherwise we were retyping a lot of stuff. So it just took a lot more time to develop the content too, in addition to just trying to contact the people to get it. But a lot of it just grew out of, hey, you run into somebody, you ask a question, they can say, hey, if you want to learn more, you should really contact so-and-so. Oh, what's their phone number? Where, are they, where, where can I run into them? And they would give you a, one of their favorite hangout spots or they'd give you a phone number and you'd call and you'd reach out to them when you had a moment. And that, it, it grew over time, the m number of connections we had. And then people would start calling us and saying, hey, you should cover this or hey, have you thought about this or why haven't you done this kind of thing. Tell me, okay, so because there, there was, uh, the, the pipeline was slower, right? You're, you're sending physical media to each other or calling on the phone and trying to like catch people in that way. Uh, did you find yourself having to, to plan out like issues in advance, knowing that like, hey, they just sent me, I asked them for what they're doing this weekend. They got back to me before we could put it in the paper, but they sent me an event that they're doing two weeks from now. Let's slot that. Was it that sort of organization that was going on or was it really more guerrilla style getting on the phone with people and trying to be as current as possible? A lot of our issues early on for the first actually two, three years were all just Hey, like we planned as much as we could have had. We had to. I mean, we were scanning in photos of bands and putting them in and saying, okay, we're going to use this in two weeks. And, and well, that's not really true either. We were so spur of the moment because we were so understaffed. It was a lot of it would happen right away. We had a lot of volunteers who helped and it was kind of fun. It was, we're going to start a underground newspaper essentially and print copies. And we had a few advertisers too. So I can't forget about that piece of the puzzle. Again, I mentioned last podcast, we were the first color. So we were first color publication. So we were more progressive than most. So we did catch people's eye. We put a really big color photo on the cover. We planned that kind of thing out in advance. But even then, that took a lot of time too, because we didn't develop the film in-house. We had to have the film developed. So then we'd take it to a one-hour photo lab and we'd take the pictures. You have to use a full roll. It wasn't like digital photography when you just snapped a picture of everything and you hoped a good one came out. You had to really focus on what you were getting. Right. Yeah. I, I think that that's maybe one of the most interesting things for me coming into this with no prior newspaper experience outside of the pulse and, and learning everything that I'm learning about how systems work now, hearing about how they work then and trying to imagine like how I would even keep my head above water with, with those types of, of pipelines that you're working with. I think the photos are a great example because like now I can go out with my phone, take a picture and then send it you know, airdrop it to myself and put it in the story that same day. It takes no time at all. But imagining going out, capturing the photo on film, developing it, then getting it in a physical form, putting it physically on a piece of paper to do your layout. Like, 
all of that stuff, it just, it boggles my mind. Well, we got beyond that by the time we were doing it up here. We were scanning it in and dumping it onto a digital file. So we weren't doing any cutting and pasting up here. But yes, I, I appreciate that. Okay, so so when, when the Pulse started, there was a digital comp- component in putting it together, right? Yep, it was all digital. And and that, I'm sure, is completely different from how it's done now, too, right? Um, you'd be surprised. Uh, the The program, so when I was in high school, I actually helped, this is, dating me too, I guess. I graduated in 1990 from high school. And at that my senior year, we were using PageMaker 1, um, which is now the equivalent to um, Adobe Creative Cloud and InDesign. So PageMaker was the first program we used with designing the Pulse 2. All the digital files, we laid everything out on a computer. What's changed a lot is the speed. That's a huge thing. I mean, you think about how much room, a one megabyte was a huge deal, let alone five kilobytes, right. 500 kilobytes. Like, so we were using floppy disks and then hard disks and then hard drives that could store hundred megabytes. And if a computer could hold 250 megabytes, you were golden. So it, the, the actual process of laying out the page, the tools you have, like the little gadgets and the key commands that you use to make things go faster, those have changed a lot, but the basics of the plan are, of the programs are pretty much the same as they were back then. Right. So, uh, again, to this to this question of gathering stories, you relied on your writers a lot to try to do things, and and part of the reason why you're able to do that is because you were getting writers who were passionate in different areas, right? So you had different writers who knew a lot about different things, or at the very least, were engaged in those you know arts or those communities enough to be passionate and write about them, right? Is that kind of how this started off, or was there a lot of like trying to pull those stories together from the air? So we would we would write one or two stories ourselves, either Tom or I would write something, and those we really had a lot of, we would talk a lot about what those are. So, I, mean, I mean, one story that stands out specifically is like Tom interviewing Craig Bleets. It was in his first or second year up here, and now he's one of the most recognized artists in the county. Um, but we planned those out. Most of the other articles were submissions. They were, hey, you write a little bit. Do you want to write something? And we wouldn't be very specific about what they had to cover. In fact, most of them, they weren't covering anything at all. They were, we had one guy who wrote, who had moved to West Virginia and he wrote about air conditioners. Uh, You know, it had no relevance to what was actually going on in Door County. Um, we, We had one columnist that wrote about what it's like to be a server in the county. And that was, it was more of a perspective pieces as a thoughtful, not much research involved in them at all, just spouting. Um, even when Norb Bly wrote for us the first year, it was just one of his pieces attacking a large mansion. He wrote a whole article on how he didn't like this big house being built. So less like these are all stories about Door County and more these are stories from Door County. Is that a good way to think about it? Sure. I mean, we also, when we got into the fall and we were lacking content, we would reach out to people who traveled and we'd have people would write a story about, I visited Costa Rica and here's my, here's my triptych kind of thing. Here's some photos I took and when I climbed a tree and when I went and saw some monkeys and that kind of stuff. So it was still Door County related, but it was someone who had gone away from here and gone somewhere else. I remember we had someone do an article that they wrote about going to somebody's wedding and their their Door County wedding and what it was like to see this couple get married. So, and we had some pictures of them and we had a cartoonist that draw, drew a cartoon of the two of them, that kind of thing. Right. So in these early days, I guess, what was your overall 
I don't want to say goal, but what were you hoping that the the readership would gain from from picking up these early issues? Was it was it really just a passion project with you and your friends telling your stories, or was it more of like I, I want to do something that you that is valuable to the readers? And and how did that grow? We wanted to become we wanted to be part of the community, and we wanted to learn more about the community we lived in, and then we wanted to share the stories that we found with as many people as possible. Um, the we. Tom and I really agreed on the whole impetus of the paper was that everybody has a story, but in that time and place, it wasn't like you could post on social media and tell your story. It was, here's an avenue for someone to let the world know a little bit more about who they are and what defines them and how they found a way through a, through a path, a down a path that maybe someone else might help be helped by or might inspire them to do their own art or their own story or their own thing. Now, I know that we talk a lot about, you know, what is different and what has changed, but what what do you think has stayed the same? Like, what, what, what are you still trying to do now with The Pulse that you were doing back then? Well, I think part of, I mean, I'll, I'll, I guess I relate that to Door County itself. It's, it's always felt like this one place, even though there's lots of challenge in doing it, people will say it's really hard to start a business in Door County. Well, it's really hard to start a business anywhere, um, but as places go... This community finds a way to take care of one another, and that that has kind of always stayed the same. And if you invest yourself into the community, the community kind of looks and and reciprocates that investment and helps you through things. So one of the things that has always stuck with me in that first winter, we had never even published a pulse yet, um, and we were living up here trying to come up with some story ideas and outline some of the the content that we'd put in. It snowed a lot, and we didn't. We had moved up here. We didn't know anybody that knew how to snow plow, but I worked at a restaurant and the re- I told the restaurant owner and the restaurant owner told a friend and the next day we were plowed out with no questions asked and no charge. And it was just one of those things that, that has, for me, hasn't changed at all. And one of those things that's kept me here. Um, and then another experience that really had, a, that weighed a lot on this was I worked at the summer kitchen for a long time and Gary Showerman was the owner and he talked a lot about, you can really hang your shingle here. The way, the idea that if you want to start a business, you can hang up a shingle and you can try to do something. And if you put your energy into it and you show up every day and you keep, you're consistent with your hours, you can make a go of it up here. And I, over the years, watching the business owners start something, the ones that stick to it and engage in the community and become part of it and try to look out for the, their neighbors have really made it. And it's, it's inspiring and it keeps me going and it keeps me wanting to tell those people's stories too, which helps them, I hope. And then it also gives us a good story to tell. Yeah, I think that's a great bookend too. I mean, talking about some of the new businesses in Ephraim that we talked about earlier, uh, I, I am excited because like I, I know most of the businesses that have opened up recently, right? That's been the most exciting thing for me is, is coming here you know, my first summer up here is when Sister Bay was doing their whole reconstruction project. So like I, I really came here at the beginning of all of the change that you've seen in the last five years. But I, I'm excited to hear like the places that I feel like have been here forever. I'm sure many of them opened up when you were here doing this for the first time. So hearing those stories, because I'm sure that that you went through the same thing that I feel like I'm going through right now and just seeing this this change and seeing things happen. Um, so I feel like that'll be something to explore as well. It's just like, what was new and exciting when you were first doing this? And now are, are those people still here? Have they become the, the Door County icons that I view them as? Um, I am sure that there's a lot of stories like that that will unpack. So I, I appreciate the comparison and the, and the viewpoint of coming in with um, kind of brand new eyes and, and be eye-opening. The, the one difference though, Andrew, is that 
we didn't, there was no expectation on us whatsoever. The, the difference was that no one knew anything about who we were, what we were doing. We printed a thousand copies of the first issue and it was eight pages long and people thought we were doomed to fail. I mean, I, I remember going into one advertiser saying, I'm not advertising this year, come back in three years and I'll, I'll promise I'll run an ad because I'll know you'll stick around. Right. Trust me, I went back three years later and I got that person to advertise. It worked. But the expectation that what you have to your advantage a little bit that we didn't which is also something that makes it a little bit harder too, I get it, is that the resources you have available now of knowing who to talk to in an inroad, when we'd call up someone and say, hey, I'm Dave from the Peninsula Pulse, they'd go, who, what? Yeah. What is the Peninsula Pulse? What is that thing? What does that do? What do you, where are you guys from? Where are you? Oh, I don't want to talk to you. Um, so it's, there's a, that's a lot. That's one thing that's very, very different. But seeing the, the kind of the Door County world through the, a different set of eyes is I think is a, perfect approach to this. I think it's great. And and I and when you're mentioning this, I'm thinking about all the different places that have changed over time that I thought would be around forever that have changed and left. And then there are those that have been around for 60 years. So. Right. Well, I think that that will do it for us for this week, Dave. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with me. And I'm looking forward to continuing this journey through the history of the Pulse in the episodes to come. Thanks, Andrew. I hope you enjoy your journey down the uh, entertainment world this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.